HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring food for the eyes, how the art and culinary worlds collide. It's incredibly elaborate. It's a feast for the eyes, a banquet dinner with garnished ham, turkey, and an array of accompaniments. We shot uh, baguettes with, like, paint dripping off of them with the blue, white, and red from the French flag. Oh, what did a student tell me? They said, the camera eats first. And it's so true. It's so true. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, welcome to the Feed Feed, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. I'm Jay Cohen, editorial director of the actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Today, we are diving into all things social media with the king of the internet, Jeremy Jacobowitz, the founder of Brunch Boys. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you. Ooh, the king of the internet. I like that. Yes. I like yes. that a boy could be king now. So to start, like uh-huh. internet domination, how did you achieve it? Tell me a little bit about your background of how you kind of built up Brunch Boys. What? How would you describe Brunch Boys all to right. someone who might not have ever scrolled on Instagram before? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I'll start there, even though that's always the hardest thing to do is just explain what I do. But at the end of the day, it's it's me sharing my adventures with the world, mostly through video. I used to be, we used to work in TV. I was a producer. So I worked in sports TV first and then food TV. That's obviously where more of this background comes from. I started as Bobby Flay's PA, was with him on every single show, um, and then started producing. So producing food travel, food competition, cooking shows, all the fun stuff. Food Network, Cooking Channel, FYI, travel, blah, 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 blah. Um, but so five years ago, I was just bored between gigs. I was always freelance. I've never had a full-time job. Uh, and I was like, oh, I want to make some videos. Oh, what should I do? Oh, I'm going to make these brunch videos. There was no influencers at the time. There's no social media people at the time. There weren't even videos on Instagram at the time. What year was this? This is five years ago. Okay. Like, you couldn't even upload videos to Instagram at the time. But I was like, oh, I'll make these videos. I'll put them on YouTube. Uh, but I'll pick, oh, I pick the name Brunch Boys. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll own that handle on Instagram. At least I was like, let me make sure. Part of the reason why it's called Brunch Boys is I wanted to make sure it was a name I could own across all platforms. Um, was there a plan for many boys? Like having well, like, well, multiple so, Brunch well, Boys? Well, so the reason why it's called Brunch Boys, so the original concept was like it was going to be like this food travel show. The idea was like uh, I was going to go to brunch with a buddy and I'd be in the kitchen making some food. He'd go make a drink um, with the bartender, and then we'd meet up and brunch together. Like, we made, like, two or three of those original episodes, but it, it moved on very quickly from there. Just honestly because I went back to work, and I was like, okay, I don't have time to produce these gigantic food travel. Like, yeah. we were producing them, like, TV shows. Like, I basically like, used the help of all my friends. They got equipment and real people, blah, blah. It was the biggest production. Um, but it pretty much moved on from there very quickly. And I would just, like, I was just in restaurants organically because of work. I was in restaurants all over the country. So... When now it's like a things like go get content. I just had content. So I started posting, posting, posting these photos and the account blew up and it sort of went in that direction of like, 
oh, all right, social media is a thing, influencers are a thing. I sort of like grew up as it was coming up, especially when the food influencer world was growing. Like, I remember when like restaurants started inviting us in for the first time. I was like, oh, what is this? Free food? Oh my god. Um, but then it, it became full. T- it, I had it for a year and a half, and really, it was nothing. It wasn't really growing that much because it wasn't supposed to be anything. There's no thought. It's still a year and a half into it. There are no influencers. No one was making money. There was zero thought to ever make money or have this be a full-time job or anything. It was just supposed to be a fun, creative outlet, which is still the way I, I, I try and have perspective on it, even though it's become my full-time job. Mm-hmm. But it did, honestly, because I was I was burnt out from TV. I was on the road for months, and it was just like it was killing me. Um, and Brunch Boys started to bubble a little bit. Maybe it had 15,000 followers, somewhere around there. And I was like, you know what? Like the... The good thing about being freelance is that you don't have to work when you don't want to work. And I never made that decision. I always kept working. But I was like, maybe I just need a mental break from TV, reset myself, and then get back to it. So I was like, well, I'm not someone that could ever just sit around and do nothing. I have this Brunch Boys thing. I'll take a month off, and I'll play a Brunch Boys, and I'll sort of reset my body and go back to work. Um, but so that was the first time I really concentrated on it in a year and a half of owning it, and the account exploded. Because I, for the first time, thought about content, thought about strategy, and thought about all those things, and really focused on it. I mean, at the time, I, I'm not, my background isn't taking photos and stuff. My background is producing. It was coming up with these ideas and telling other people how to get that, how to achieve that that concept. I had to teach myself how to take photos. I had to teach myself how to edit. I had to teach myself everything um, through Brunch Boys. But because the, the account exploded, I was like, oh, this is fun. Maybe I could do this another month and did another month. And then peop- and then around me, people started making money. And I had some other people tell me, they're like, you're, you're close. You're very close to making money. And I was like, okay, so I pretty much looked at how much money I had in the bank account and I knew how much time I could go without having to like work to pay my rent. And I was it. I set a goal. I'm like, okay, I have four months. I could, if I cut out every expense of my life, I could just pay my rent and make it till then. And if I don't make it till then, then I'll go back to work, 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 uh, in TV. If not, I'll make the go of this. And I started making money. So I never went back. Amazing. I mean, I think that kind of brings up a, a really interesting point of that your background was in the producing aspect, the concepting, right. the the creating the strategy about what content you want to put out there right. versus the actual quality of social media doesn't necessarily require the top photographers or videographers. No, if you go back and look at my stuff, it sucked. It, but, but I think <laughs> the point is, in like, what what was your shtick? What were you trying to kind of, what perspective were you trying to give to yeah. food content? Well, I think that was, that was it from the beginning too, was like why I picked brunch. I picked brunch for two reasons. I looked around and I was like, okay, even before the Instagram thing, just with the videos, it was like, okay, how am I going to stand out? I'm hosting it. I'm not the best host. I'm doing all this work. Uh, it's not going to be the greatest production ever. It's not going to be this. So, okay, if I'm not going to be the best at all those things. Why would anyone watch this? So I picked brunch because I was like, okay, I love brunch. All my friends love brunch. Nobody in the media landscape touched brunch. And I knew that because I'd gone through it. Like when I was on TV shows, I'd pitch brunch ideas and every time I would be told no. And I'd be told no because I'm not producing. TV isn't made for me. It's made for the audience of Food Network, which is middle America and older. Mm-hmm. And I was told they don't like brunch. Don't do brunch. And I was like, well, okay, th- if this is my project and whatever I want to do, then we be brunch. And that was a huge way to stand out where I think like when food influencers and food Instagrams became a thing – and they're still on the, even, even at the beginning of that, it was, I don't know, 20 of us. It would be, huh, uh, thinking in respect of people that are following. It's like, which one am I going to follow? Okay, well, this one's doing food porn, and this one has a ton of followers, and this one's New York, and they're all number one at that. Oh, and then there's the brunch one. So even if I wasn't the number one food account, which I wasn't, even when I took off of work, I was like 100,000 behind like the bigger food accounts. But I was able to stand out because I focused on brunch. And then it's always been a progression of like, how do I stand out? So then it became, when they put up videos, I was like, okay, let me jump on videos. A, that's what I actually love producing. Great, that makes me stand out. Same way with IGTV. It's like, oh, I I was getting so constrained by just doing one-minute videos. Yeah. Because how much how much story could you really get across in one minute? You and can, ha- and that's why the market became saturated with hands and pans and yes, just exactly. simple and it food porn, so cheese pulls. Yeah. frustrating because I was like, again, you can't, I got to tell this food story, which is why people are there, but I can't even talk about it because like it, it, it just didn't have enough time. So the second IGTV came out, I was like, oh, fuck. it was like such a huge... It was a huge relief and a huge stress thing. So like, oh God, it's so much from work. But I was like, I could have so much more fun with this. And that's been that's been my my bigger social media thing is like I think like I just get bored very quickly. And even when things are working really well, I'm like, everyone's doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. That's, Nemi, what's that's the social next social media re- at its core? Right. It's like, what's the next thing I could do to stand out? And I think it's too much of 
There's too much of this copycat stuff. And you can still grow and explode by doing copycat stuff and it's fine. But if you are the thousandth account doing the one thing, even if you have a lot of followers and have a lot of engagement, I don't think that gives you value. And at the end of the day, I get paid, I, I gotta get paid by this, so I need to have value. So I'd rather stand out in content than stand out in engagement and followers. Let's, let's dive into that a little more. So the concept of I'm starting an account tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out what what is my strategy, what is my unique voice. There is the idea behind like single subject things of someone who just posts a picture of what was the thing? It wasn't an avocado. But oh, it was an egg. egg. The, the egg. egg, the egg. Yeah. Huh. Um, versus having it be personality driven. I would say, I mean, I get this question all the time about, uh, hey, I, literally that same question. I'm starting food account. And my first always question is like, well, why? I'm not sure. Not in like a mean yeah. way. I'm just like, why? What do you want from it? And I think like nine times out of 10, they're like, well, I want free food. And I'm like, that's the worst the reason worst to reason. ever have a food account because you're never going to, you're never going to get free food. I think like, yes, there's been a huge shift, especially when I, so when I started the be all and end all of food accounts was infatuation mm-hmm. that they were the number one always getting reposted by them was like how you started to like build momentum. They truly controlled it. So the idea when you, when we built these accounts five years ago, me and everyone else was like, oh, you are this brand, you are this cold thing. You post food, you brunch food and that's it. And you could repost that blah, blah, blah. But I think the, the biggest shift that I've seen in social media from when I started that five years ago now is it's all personality now. And the ones that aren't personality die. 100%. And I think I saw that shift. I, when I started making money, and this is already four years ago, that's truly when I started to shift away from just food and making sure it's me. More so because I was like, how do I sell things if all I do is post cheeseburgers? What do I, who, who buys ads from that? Who, how do I work with people? But I'm like, if it's me and a cheeseburger, I can do ads with everybody. I mean, I was, I was a good example. Like the first sponsor concert I ever did, it was with Bumble. They launched Bumble really? BFF and they're like, hey, oh, yeah. put up a post of like looking for people to go find brunch with, use Bumble BFF. So from there to travel, to f- food and wine and alcohol, everything between I've worked with everybody. Cause I think like the message is just, this is how I use this to get across this message and, and the value of what I've been able to do in five years and not just be a better creator and put out better content and grow engagement, but I know how to speak to my followers. So no matter what it is, as long as I'm passionate about what I'm saying, it's going to work. In terms of monetization, what does that mean? So for the first question is, how do you find a brand to work with? Right. And how do you decide that a brand is aligned um, with a company you'd want to work with? Right. Uh, I mean, I'm very lucky. I think like what's the nice, the nicest part about having a lot of followers is that you get attention. Uh, like whether it's through PR, I'm in an article or something I did go viral, like people can find you. So I'd say for the most part, it's incoming stuff. Or even at this point, I'm doing it for five years, I've built relationships and people, and it's a smaller industry than you think, and people bounce around, and you do a good job, and you go there and there. So most of it's incoming. Um, when it's a brand I really do want to work with, I don't really pitch ideas. I find that like they have campaigns they want me to do. It's just more of hey, let's let me let me get to know you, let me get myself on your radar, and then if you ever do have a campaign, let's work together. And then pitching ideas, me coming up with ideas for them is waste, waste my time. Cause mm-hmm. when they come up with it, when they have the budget, they'll come to me. Um, but I, so I just did a whole video about this. I mean, I think like there's a lot of things that happen when a brand approaches me. The first question is, yeah, what do I have to say about this? If I have nothing to say about this, I can't post about it. It's just like, I don't have it in me. So it's like, am I excited about this? Do I use this? Do I have anything to say about it? And then it's, you know, how's my audience going to react to this? Is this something they could actually find useful? If I know no one's going to care about it, I want my post to do well. Um, and then it, it, it's, you know, it's CNC cash and creative. It's like, listen, they have to meet my budget. It's fine. And my budget's all over the place because it depends on who's asking is what I always say. Maybe it's a smaller company and they don't have that big of a budget, but I feel passionate about them. I want to work with them. Okay. Or if you're a gigantic company, guess what? You're probably gonna have to pay more, even as much as I'm excited to work with you, you're, you can't afford it. So it's all over the place. And then it's creative. Honestly, it's like, I usually, because they come to me with a campaign, I take that idea and I come up with my idea of what I can do with it. Hey, here's my video concept that I could do using your key messaging and doing it in a way that I think is organic and speaks my audience and, and connects all the dots for everybody. And a lot of times they don't like that idea and I move on. I always say like, I don't sell ads. I sell sponsor content. I think there's yes. a huge difference. And if I'm just going to, I could easily take your money, put it in my pocket, put up whatever ad you want me to do. And it doesn't do well. 
And then, yeah, all right, I made, I made money and that's nice, but I took away from the value of my accounts and what I'm building and you're never going to work with me again because it sucked. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't engage with it. And I'm like, that's a waste of my time. So does that. And even listen, there's, there's times when it gets even that far. And then like I pitch and I produce this video and then it's a fat, this has only happened a handful of times. So it's happened where like we've gone back and forth on seven edits and I'm like, I delivered what I told you to deliver to you. I've made concessions here for you and you still aren't approving. I got to step away and that sucks and it's not a deal, but I just, I, to me, it's always about that value of what I'm doing as opposed to a one-off deal. That kind of, to me, and obviously it reigns supreme with Fifi too, because the first step when we want to work with a brand, it's do we use this product? And if we don't, um, we need to get it to play with it in the test kitchen right, and see if it's something that we would actually want to use or recommend our mm-hmm. audience to use. And I think the, the concept of reputation and that connection you have with your audience is so important. How do you find um, ways to strengthen it? How do you find the concept of responding to comments or engaging with the people who follow with you mm-hmm. or kind of everything in, in that sense to yep. not only grow a following, but kind of make them more valuable. Yeah. And listen, you, you can't win always. And no matter what you do, someone's going to complain about something. But as long as you could justify it enough to yourself and your followers and if your followers, I think it's funny. I think they appreciate it. I think like too, like I always want to make it completely clear that it's an ad because I'm not trying to get one over on you guys. It's always like, hey, I was an example of like when I did. So I went to Japan this spring and I worked at Fallen Upon Airways. And the guidelines are like, we're going to send you to Japan. We're going to give you a budget. Go make cool videos about Japan. And use that as the example because I was like, this is a fully branded video. I make mention at the top of every video. It's with all Nippon Airways. They're mentioned in the caption. But at the end of the day, it's really awesome content because someone gave me a budget. Guess what? I can't go to Japan on my own to film all that fun stuff. And still months later, those are videos people talk about. And I get tagged every single week with people going to Japan and eating things that I did. And that's the example I'm like, those are the type of opportunities and fun things I can do when there's money. Like as an audience, you guys should be excited when I have money. Cause it probably means I added more stuff to the video. Like I made it better. It took more time. Cause most of my videos at like 90% of the videos, I didn't paid for it. It's all my own time and effort. So it's like, all right, it's good enough. And I got to move on to something else. The video is fine. It'll work, whatever. Or when I have money, someone's paying for it. I'm like, no, let me, let me take the extra time and slow down and really focus on it and make this an even better video. Now, the concept of, not every video is going to be branded or not everyone is going to have a budget. Mm. How do you then kind of decide what is worth giving your attention to? The kind of perfect example in my head that everyone asks when they think of kind of content creators who go to restaurants is, oh, are you paying for dinner? Right. Oh, what was the exchange? Are they paying you to come into the restaurant? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, they're, they're not paying me. Like there's obviously a gray area with restaurants and when they can pay me. And it's sort of like in my own brain of like, all right, well, they have this many locations and I know they have a marketing budget and they've become this big. And I've seen that happen in New York City places where I started with one. And guess what? Now you have 17 locations. That's right. That's the line I sort of draw of like, you kind of got to pay me. Um, But for the most part, or or they want something specific. Hey, can you make these videos for us, too? And like, we'll use them. And if you post about them. So that happens. Uh, But I would say far more the majority is just. They pitch me and I say, cool, I love that dish. I want to do this story. I have this video idea with it. Let's go film. They do not pay me. Uh, it's obviously, it, it's comped, but it's like, I explained, like, it's not comped. Like, I'm, I set up video shoots. Like, yeah. I'm, I very rarely go in for meals. So it's like, what are they going to charge me for the prop and the video I'm making yeah. for them? Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's just a different perspective. I really don't. Honestly, I don't really do any more comped meals at all. Any, like, full meals. Obviously, like, I am get offered, but to me, it's like, I do these video shoots. They're really hard to do. If it's a packed real restaurant, I'd rather like take the time and really film them. And also just for honestly health reasons, it's just like, it's better not to go there and get, say, and get a thousand dishes thrown at me. Like, let me just pick the one or two dishes I want to do. Let's film it. And then we get out there. And guess what? Most times nothing else is even prepped in a kitchen. Cause I think there's still this thing of like, Oh, well, we want to feed you. Like, you know, they're just, they're, they're nice. You know, like you're here in the restaurant, try this, try this. They're so excited. You're there. And that would happen if I went and, even when I go now and I, I mean, listen, it's, it's a nice thing. It's a nice problem, but I go to dinner and I did it's not. It's a gavage. T- it's like, you're, well, but you're even a flaw like, duck. Well, well, it's just like, I didn't even tell them I was coming in, but listen, like, you know, people know me and I'll sit down and then like, they should start coming out of the kitchen. I'm like, okay. I just kind of wanted a nice, healthy meal, but sure. I'll eat all this goodness. Okay. <laughs> so something came to my attention 
on Instagram, and this will kind of be our last thing on Instagram before we kind of talk about <laughs> other social media <laughs> platforms. Um, Instagram is still king. Come Instagram, on 100%. Mm. Chef's kiss. <laughs> uh, but what is a like pod? So I've been like oh. seeing, I saw some pod groups. pod groups, like I saw some article mm. on it. I've never been part of it yet. It was this whole kind of conversation around mm. how you kind of trick the algorithm or obviously like the, always the conversation is yeah. the Instagram algorithms out for you, which, right, which is so stupid. Which I, is, I, give yes. the, I give this example when people want to complain about the algorithm, I go, when you go onto Instagram or the first post you see always things you want to see. Yeah. Okay, well, then the algorithm's working. Maybe it's not working in your favor for your specific contents, but it's working because it's always pushing stuff that you want to see. It knows. And I think, like, it's, I understand the frustration with it. Listen, I, I get frustrated with Instagram as a whole, but, like, they're not out to get singular people. It's just you, if you don't, if you're not happy with your engagement, it's your problem. And it's like, you need to do something to get better engagement. It's, and it's, I, I always say this too, like it, it, it's your audience. It's not the algorithm. If you post something and the algorithm is always, Instagrams, they don't, what's funny is they don't call it the algorithm. I forget what they call it, but whatever it is. It's always trying to guess who wants to see your content. So if I post something and enough of those first rounds of people actually hit the like button or engage, they don't even have to hit the like button. It's, they watched the whole video, they commented, they saved it. They, they took some action on it. Then Instagram will push it to more people. It's the algorithm working. If those people don't engage with it, then it's not going to push it to as many people. Mm -hmm. So it's your it's a you problem and it's an audience problem rather than an algorithm problem, which isn't the easiest. I think it's very easy to be like, well, it's not me. It's always the algorithm. No, it's it's you. <laughs> so then the concept oh, right. of a pod and it's, yeah. it seems like there are these little groups of influencers mm -hmm. that then promise to kind of comment and like each other's posts. Yeah, well. So I did a whole, when this thing, I think I want to say it started even like a year and a half ago. So I don't like the fashion side of things. And I would get invited to these pod groups, whatever. And I said no to all of them, mostly because I just sort of think they're dumb. And two, I'm like, it's a lot of work to sit there. Like, who's basically what do is like, there's 50 people on this pod. Mm -hmm. You, you share your posts every time you post. Some people share posts four times a day. So it's an all day thing, getting notifications to comment. And then like, there's drama if you don't comment in someone's thing. It was also silly. So in terms of how it works with the algorithm, of course, more comments are always better. More comments from bigger accounts and engagement from bigger accounts is always better. So on some base level, it does work. But I do think that like brands are super on top of that, too, where like they're looking for comments for and their systems can tell them this. Like they pay a lot of money for these back end analytics. And one of the things analytics tells them is what level of people engage with that post. So as much as it's better for the algorithm for bigger accounts to engage with you, if a brand is looking at your account and all the comments are only from other influencers, that means they're not reaching people that would actually use what mm -hmm. they're trying to sell. And not try to get it for free. Yeah, and, like, and that's not good. Um, so there's a balance to it. I still haven't done it. I do think, I've been thinking about this, so I do think that it works in this way. And like Instagram's also trying to always figure out what account to push to you next whether that's in the Explore page or whatever. And one of the ways it does that is it, it looks for accounts that are similar and piggyback off of that one. So if you're in an engagement group with all these bigger accounts, odds are Instagram would push you to one of those people's followers. And if it's similar content, which is the idea of these DM groups, it's like, oh, there's bigger food accounts or whatever. It'd push people there. So on some level, it sort of works. I think overall, it just like... Just get real engagement. And I just like, and on the creator side, it's like, well, just be supportive of one another. I don't need you to send me the post and, and force me to comment to be supportive. I'd rather you just post and do good shit. And I'm like, wow, that's an awesome post. 100%, cool. 100%. Like, just have it be organic and then it's all fun. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't want to be forced to come up with some dumb comment for your terrible photo. Well, you could always tell. You always tell. It's like, <laughs> right. oh my, OMG, young. Um, yeah. Well, wonderful. And I think we can close the book on Instagram for now and get into <laughs> the other platforms. First being YouTube. Uh -huh. um, so you are probably one of the only food accounts I know that is so active on YouTube. Oh, God, I'm trying so hard. What, how do the audiences differ? What, obviously YouTube is a different beast. This is mm -hmm. longer content. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of my 11-year-old niece watching videos of kids unwrapping gifts mm -hmm. all day. What's your approach? 
I mean, I think for me personally, if I were to have one account to really explode, I think it would be YouTube, honestly, just because for what I do, the audience is expecting that. I think even without, even as much as I love IGTV and, and as successful as they have been, like, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of good things about things about IGTV. One thing is that if it hits, it hits really well, but it doesn't get shown on the Explore page in the same way. So things can't go viral in IGTV. They can kind of, but they're contained. But for me, I'd rather have a nice baseline and necessarily things go viral. Anyway, it's a whole week. I could talk about that forever. But anyway, go back to YouTube. I think like one, it's a younger audience, which is important. Younger audiences are more engaged. I think one, because they just they have, grew up with they have more They have more time. And then two, yes, they grew up with the idea of, I think there's still this thing of, if you're 30 and I'm 32, there's still this weird divide of like, okay, Instagram, social media, whatever, who cares? Where like, there's still that weird thing with it, where if you are, even if you're 20 and you see, this is the power, we'll get to TikTok too. This is where the power of TikTok comes. You're 20. So you essentially grew up on Instagram and influencers and everybody telling you what to do and what to wear and what to buy and what to eat and where to go. There's no stigma about it. That's just life. That's it. So it's not like, oh, you're the goodest person alike. Like, I, I do a lot of surveys all the time. Too. I just want to try and tap into the brain of my audience. So I'll do all these surveys and all these things. And I'll, and I'll ask them, like, why? I see how many people, the frustration I think when people have the algorithm, people have the Instagram in general, is like, I'm able to see the reach and impressions in every single post. So, okay, this video got 250,000 impressions. Usually that's like double the views and views of four seconds. So let's say it got 150,000 views. What, what is an impression? Oh, so impression is just like how many eyeballs physically came across that post. And then if you stay for four seconds, it counts as a view. Um, and impression is also multiple times. So if you went to back, reach is singular, impression, whatever. I always look at impressions because me, I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm always pitching eyeballs to whatever thing I'm trying to get across, whether it's for a restaurant or a brand or whatever. Um, but okay. So two, let's do the math. So 250,000 people saw this thing, it got 15,000 likes. I would pat myself in the back and be like, that's a really solid video, like job well done, amazing. But then you do the math and you're like, 15, only 15,000 people actually hit the like button after 250. I'm like, how is that successful? And that's not, a, I did a video about this a, a few weeks ago and people are like, oh, you're saying like your engagement sucks. I'm like, no, no, I'm saying like, that's just the way people are on Instagram. They don't Correct. hit the like button. They just refuse and I don't understand why. And when everything's based off of just hitting that button, it's important. And like, even when you look at the bigger accounts, what, what's your engagement rate? Four to eight percent if you're a bigger account. And it, it's set up to be smaller as you grow, whatever. But it's like eight percent engagement. <laughs> like, what the hell? And it's not because people don't like your content. It's just they're not, they're not used to it. And I asked them, like, why didn't you hit the like button? Not in that way, but you know what I mean. And they're like, individually sending DMs. Excuse me, sir. (laughs) No, but just survey. I'll be like, hey, did you see this post? Yes or no. Okay, did you you hit the like button? Yes or no. Did you actually like the video? Oh, I loved it. Why didn't you hit the like button? Ah, I don't know. I just, you know, I don't like like doing that. Or some people would be so specific. Literally, someone said to me, I asked them in general, what makes you hit the like button? Someone said, I only hit it when it's some life-changing thing I learned. I'm like, what do you po- What do you hit the like button once a year? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Reserving it for that, like, inspirational quotes. Right, yeah, so it's just, I don't know even how I get this topic, but anyway, but it's like, it, it just, it's getting people to engage is really hard. So anyway, if you're younger, you engage more, just more, just more intuitive to it. So I think, like, getting younger on is better. So the YouTube audience is certainly younger, but also expecting long-form videos. And I think the, the, the issue Instagram has always had from the beginning is it's, you scroll faster on that than anywhere else. Maybe scroll, even TikTok people are sticking along because it's built off of, no, we know these videos are going to be at least 15 seconds. Where Instagram is built off of swipe, type, swipe, type, 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 look, look, look really, really, really fast. Um, so when the audience is not expecting a five-minute video, if you could get them, amazing. But for the most part, they'll skip past it. Where YouTube is built off of, no, if I'm watching YouTube, I love watching YouTube. I watch mm-hmm. YouTube all day. If a video is too short, I don't want to watch it. I'm like, oh, there's not going to be anything good in this if it's three minutes long. If it's 10 minutes long, oh, I want to watch this. And then Instagram's, uh, YouTube is built off of making videos more than 10 minutes because if your video is longer than 10 minutes, you get two ad breaks. So like they do everything to incentivize you making longer videos and getting more ads. And when you think about the connection that a YouTube influencer has to their audience, these people are sitting down watching this video for 15 minutes or whatever, every single day or once a week or whatever. And they're with you for 15 minutes. It's a very powerful connection. We're on Instagram when they're, even if they, they swipe through your stories really quickly, what do you get with them for a minute a day? 
and I post, a, you know, I post three to four videos a week. So they're with me a total in a week, 10 minutes. It's really hard to create that powerful connection, which I think YouTube gives you. So which is why I was like, oh, if I could just I, like that's sort of the connection I want with my audience. And then we get there where I could build a younger, more engaged audience where even like I mentioned sort of like in passing every video, like, hey, check out YouTube. Usually longer form videos are there or different cuts or just different content altogether. I'll put some stuff up there when I have time. Um, but it very really pushed my audience from Instagram and YouTube because I'm like, the point isn't to just have the same audience there. It's to have that YouTube audience is what I want. Pushing everywhere, people everywhere doesn't do me any good. It's it's tapping into what you, makes YouTube work. And listen, YouTube is so saturated, it's very difficult. Um, I've had chats with YouTube and they're literally like, we don't know why your account's not doing well. I mean, the biggest thing is, uh, I mean, they, they, they have pushed me really far into collaborations. Um, it's been a struggle just because like, I see what sort of like, blows up on YouTube who they push me to collaborate with. I'm like, I don't do that type of content. From the yeah. food side, it's really hard. They're like, food people are cooking. And I do some cooking videos, but like, that's not my brand. That's not what I want to push across. Or it's like crazy wild stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's not my account either. Um, but I found a couple of really, like, really interesting and cool, like more food travel vloggers. I'm like, that's my vibe. That's sort of like more to storytelling I want to do. So uh, tw- uh, 2020 is the year of the collaborations. Uh, so Love I have a couple of things you- lined up. How do you approach the content? Like, are you just posting the same videos on IGTV and YouTube? Are you making edits? Are they different lengths? Yeah, I'd say for the most part, they're the same, just different, cut a little bit differently. Obviously, the aspect ratio is different. The tease at the beginning is a little bit different usually. Um, if it's too long, I do try and cut it down on IGTV. The success successful IGTV videos, and this is what I see in this comes from Instagram itself is three to five minutes. Don't go longer than that. No one's sticking around. Uh, I break that rule all the time, but I think like that's sort of the goal is like, okay, if the video is, the video is over 10 minutes, I'm like, I can't, I gotta, I gotta cut that down for IGTV. So I just take the time of like, Hey, cut this down. Then I can't push. Hey, if you did like this video and you want to learn more, or here's a little bit more to it, go to YouTube, which is a nice way to push to it. But for the most part, it's sort of the same. Cause again, I'm just like trying to tap into different audiences anyway. So to me, it's like, okay, if it's sort of the same stuff everywhere. Yeah. TikTok. Let's TikTok. Do it. Uh, my, so my I'm, brain is broken. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I spend an hour in the morning and so hour are in you the are you obsessed with the content that you're doing because you love that content? Or are you obsessed with the growth and engagement that people are getting on TikTok? Both. Okay. So we can we I think we it's very important to talk about both things separately. Uh-huh. Um, the first being the way the app works. Mm-hmm. So it's no matter how many followers you have, every post has an equal chance of going viral, which mm-hmm. I love. Mm-hmm. So you have these accounts where their first post gets millions of views. And then all of a sudden overnight they have. So, you know, yes. Well, I think, I think that when you start, they push your stuff to way more people. Interesting. And cause my, and the first five videos I did, Two of them are crazy viral, a million impressions. Mm-hmm. The problem was I didn't get any followers out of it because I didn't have any other posts. So I think people saw the video. They went to my page and were like, oh, three videos? I don't even know what this account is and didn't follow me. Like, damn it. I would have rather had a million views now when I'm yeah, 70 yeah, yeah, yeah. videos deep. Um, so we had our – so I helped make our first – I'm leading up our, our TikTok team at FeedFeed. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of like – getting to understand because this audience, like they're, they're, they're children. Very, they're it's Gen young. Z. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so the stuff that some of our best performing videos, like we hit 7.3 million views on a whipped cream challenge mm-hmm. where we're just hitting whipped cream into the air and trying to catch it in our mouths. Right. We did one video where I literally opened a spin drift and poured it into a bread bowl and then drank out of it. <laughs> and it got 500,000 views in a day. Like the concept of, behind every other food media publication, whether that be a magazine, a website, an Instagram, an email newsletter has to be thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. Because with TikTok, it's truly about watching what's going on and understanding how you can then make that yours. Whether that be Mm -hmm. a dance, a challenge, a theme. And it's the TikTok gods who are these people that create these hashtags that trend mm-hmm. on the main page and then create this trickle down of like the whole thing. And we'll get it. I yeah. want you to talk about Hype House. 
<laughs> I, I, I will try, yes. But what has been, like, have you been having fun with it? What has been your approach to TikTok? What do you think the advantages are to using it as a platform? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a few things. I think that a, anytime there's a new creative challenge, I think I'm just excited by that. Because I sort of like, I kind of understand the rules of Instagram. And as much as I like that and I like still producing for that, having a platform to play with that's a little different is cool. Obviously, if nobody was growing there and no one was getting any engagement there, there'd be no point. The excitement of, oh, growth, engagement, people liking, like filling up that need where I think like there's a, you know, on Instagram, it's, it's a struggle every single day to do what you did. Where on TikTok, like you said, there's always a potential to explode, which is, it's cool. Um, I, I think it's taken me a while to, and I still haven't really cracked it, but to figure out what works for me on TikTok. Um, I think when people in passing view it, I think they see like what people share on Instagram off TikTok. And like the first, it's always the same thing you see. Someone on stories is like, oh my God, I'm like joining TikTok. Here's my, here's my dance video. Hope you guys like it. It's like, well, that's not like it is TikTok because that's the stuff that goes viral, but it's not actually the power of the medium. The power of the medium of TikTok is it's the most viral platform there is. So whatever is viral is going to trend. This particular moment, dance things still go viral, but that's not actually the point of the platform. And if I went on there as a food account, as Jeremy, and did a, a dance video, what is that accomplishing? I don't want a goddamn, I'm sorry if I've cursed enough. I don't want to produce dance videos. So why am I going to blow up in a way to dance videos? I think, and I've had this problem on Instagram where so much of my growth came at a time when it was way more solely food focused, where it's sort of been a struggle to break out of that. And I think I don't want to fall in the same trap of producing stuff for TikTok and growing really, really hard. And then people expecting that content when I don't want to produce a particular yes. type of content. So it, it's finding my audience of, What's going to work on TikTok, which is, which is taking, I think it is sort of like looking at sort of what's trending and putting that into your own voice, like you said, yeah. which I think is, is the, is the point of it. I still have to figure out what that is. I think like I've been doing a mix of, um, stuff that a new blew up on Instagram. Listen, I have five years worth of videos yeah. I could recut from for hopefully a brand new audience. They haven't seen it. It's new to them. Taking it works there, putting it there. And then just like sort of having fun, the fact of, so you talk about Hype House. So I did a whole video about Hype House, um, what this, is Hype this week. House? So, oh boy, this is, I will Is it an actual house? Like who owns it? Oh, it's an actual house. Okay. So there's this whole, there's been this creator thing in LA for a few years, mostly on YouTube, which is creators literally living together in giant mansions. They make a shit ton of money. They are all very collaborative. They're all very creative. They're all very young. It's sort of fun to like go to LA, live in a giant house together and create together. So your content, you're helping each other create content and you're helping each other grow by always sharing with each other. Um, So there are these groups of these, TikTok now with millions of followers, creators that live in Hype House and they're literally like 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, live in this mansion and they just produce content all day. Like that's what they do. And do they uh, not go to high school? Like what? I think the ones that are still in school sort of like fly in, fly out, or okay. they like live in LA or whatever. But some of them, like the older ones, like 18, 19, where I think they're, they're they've graduated. Um, but what I liked about it was I think there's this idea of like teenagers living in, in like mansions together. Oh my God, it's insane. But um, it's mini real world. It's right. real so, world. So, so, so like, like, yeah. Degrassi. Um, it's, yeah. But I think what was nice was, so this all, I was only aware of it. I, like I said, I'm on TikTok. I should have been aware of stuff. I had no idea, but I was aware of it. Uh, there's a New York times article written by Taylor Lorenz. Who's their um, uh, social media, whatever you want to call mm. it um, on top of that stuff for them. And it was all about hype house. And she went there and talked to these kids. And what they really liked about it was like, a, I think they're all super creative. I think they're all super collaborative. And I think like they said a few things that really hit home, which was one, they all support each other. And that's the point of it, which I was like, that's really nice. That's really amazing. And she was asking like, like, you know, what were, how does someone grow on TikTok? How do you become this person on TikTok? And they said, well, you have to be creative. You have to have a lot of energy. And they're like, you have to kind of be weird. And I was like, that's really amazing. Like they are totally on board with that. And that's the growth. Like that's what's trending. It's the uh, anti-influencer. It's yeah. the, the antithesis to the, kind of. but I think it's the, the antithesis to what was kind of that first wave of Instagram of just people in bikinis <laughs> eating pizza on the beach. Right. Yeah. I, it, Instead, it, now it they're doing goofy isn't. dances. And good, they they're are. certainly being way more creative in their stuff. I think, listen, if you look at the kids in Hype House, they're all 
stunning. Correct. They are. They are. <laughs> they're still, like, they're still young, that. attractive, little diversity. Cool. You still yes. want to be yes. them, which is the why people love this high pass thing. Is they're they're they are now the be all and end all of what kids want to be. Is like I have to be a high pass person or whatever you want to call it. Um, but did you think like okay, well, if weird works on, on TikTok, that I can certainly do. So I've been having fun with it, just like. What's a weird video I can do? Like literally, like I <laughs> woke up the other morning, I was dead hungover, and I found out Black Sea delivers to me. I'm like, thank God. So I got this Black Sea bagel. I'm like, what if I just turns on the camera and just super hungover ate this bagel? That's <laughs> it. There you go. There's a video. That's it. So I, I, yeah, I mean. My best video on my personal account is a remix to Sandra Lee doing the two shots vodka, where it's like <laughs> a very healthy pour, but they extend it to like 15 seconds of pouring. <laughs> and I just poured a bottle of alcohol. I was making a giant punch bowl for a party, and I just poured it into a Cambro, and it got 250,000 yeah. views. Because yeah. it's just, it's anything. I will say what I find the most fascinating is, especially with food content, any content, is the importance of music. Where for so many other platforms, yeah. it's not as important. When with TikTok, everything is timed to the music. When the beat drops, like, that's when something happens. Yes and no. I mean, obviously, that's a huge part of it. And I think, like, using music also helps you, helps it reach people. Because, like, people will see what's trending using a song. certainly important. But... What, what I've liked, what, my struggle with TikTok too was like finding people on there that actually enjoyed the content of, because I think I went on there and the things that they they show you is like dance stuff or weird stuff. I'm like, I'm not creatively engaged with this, honestly. So I think like that. It's helped. like reality television. It's, it's right, guilty pleasures. It that, it's junk food of, which of social media. particularly like. And I was like, it took me a while to find creators doing things that I actually appreciate it. And I was like oh, it doesn't need to be this wildness necessarily to grow. Um, like I found this account. Um, it's called Her Atlas, Her Dot Atlas. And she she just moved to Japan, and I'm obsessed with Japan. That's why I found her account. So it's just sort of like little, quiet, informative videos of her daily life. There's no dancing. There's no – sometimes there's music, sometimes not. Sometimes it's just her on a walk with her dog and showing these really interesting things. She's living in a small town, Japan. She's blown up. She has like 170,000 followers in a, in a month on TikTok or whatever. And I'm like, okay, now I'm liking this. Now it's not necessarily just copying everyone else. And it has to be these dancing. It has to be this music. And it has to be this. It's just finding something that sort of works in this platform, which is still, it's still very fast. It's still things happening. It's still boom, 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 cut, 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 learn, learn, learn. But there are takeaways and you're learning stuff and you're quiet. I'm like, this is the type of thing I could get behind. Maybe having more of a mix of that. But listen, I don't really have an audience on TikTok. So it's like throw everything against the wall and see yeah. what happens. Great. This one is all music and stuff happening or whatever. Maybe this one's a little bit more quiet. It's literally like the me eating bagel like did not have music. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if music fits for this. And I think like that weird quietness of just like, being so hungover and eating a bagel. <laughs> I mean, but I think that, that there is a level of um, levity to it that right, most yeah. other platforms don't have. Yeah, I mean, certainly the more produced stuff, I, I, even though the more produced stuff has generally done better on my account, I think overall it's really about the less produced stuff, um, which is fine. Love it. Big man. This, this is all I think about. It, my brain is broken. It, it truly, it, it TikTok kind of came in and was everyone, because especially you think about the concept of understanding Gen Z and what that means for media or print publications or just monetization and working with brands of how do you grasp that next audience of mm -hmm. people who will be spending money. Yep. Um, and the idea behind taking everything that everyone knew and then just turning it on its head, mm -hmm. being like, actually, now... We're going to be creating the antithesis of everything else you've been posting, and it's going to be using AR, which I think has been fascinating to see. <laughs> I mean, there's so many little hidden things within TikTok that you discover that are like, oh, this is so much fun. Like, just I don't even post half the stuff I use. I'm just like playing with all their stuff. <laughs> because a lot of it, it's like they have the, the way that you can edit on it. It's uh -huh. just. Yeah. And I think like a, a huge thing, obviously, like that was what everyone talked about Snapchat four years ago, whatever it was. And obviously Instagram stories sort of squashed it out. But I think the biggest mistake they made was trying so hard to be the anti-Instagram where like they never satisfied people that were creating content as Correct. much as they wanted to push, hey, create cool stuff on Snapchat. You never got any satisfaction because you, no one is really, you couldn't 
get engagement and you couldn't grow. Correct. There's no way to grow on Snapchat. Snapchat is for communication. Well, now especially it is because they've like dug deep into that when they realized what was happening. But four years ago, it wasn't like before yeah. Instagram stories, it was, hey, who's what? You, know, you got to be on Everyone's asking me Snapchat, Snapchat. What are you going to create on Snapchat? I'm like, I don't know, I'll, fi- I'll figure it out, I guess. But like, there's no reason to. You yeah. could, there's no growth. No one could find you. And to be a social, listen, that's why we do it to be found, whether you are just a normal person or content creator, anybody, if you didn't want anyone to find you, you can make videos and look at them yourselves, but you're putting it out there for the world for the rush of people seeing it and liking it and commenting on it. So I think like that was a huge mistake they made where TikTok has done a great job of fulfilling that need. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. It's time for my lightning round. <laughs> this is where I'm just going to ask you a few super light questions, give your answer as basic or complex okay. as you'd All like. Right. First one being... Who's someone that everyone should be following, whether it be Instagram, TikTok? You already obviously gave her Atlas. Like, who's <laughs> someone that might not have as many followers that is really creating content you really like right now? Um, <laughs> you know what I normally says? Uh, Nacho Flay. Nacho Flay, Bobby Flay's cat. The, I love it. Whew, Nacho Flay's account is fire. Fire. Okay, <laughs> amazing. Um, what were your top three meals of last year? Uh, hmm, probably all Japan. Yeah. Uh, honestly, and every, I mean, I could talk on and on about this too. Honestly, like every single thing I ate there and the level of preparation and thoughtfulness that went into it and the ingredients is so amazing. We're like every single morning we went to the convenience store and I got a half tuna and half egg salad sando combination. And it is the greatest thing you'll ever eat. And it's from 7-Eleven. It's a dollar and it's amazing. To the pizza. Pizza, pizza in Japan is incredible. Um, we did a sushi omakase in Kyoto. That was amazing. Like, Japan overall, but maybe those those three, all, all the best. What's exciting you in the New York food scene right now? Um, I think just seeing more and more of the non non traditional of what we expect from um, ethnic foods. I guess sort of like even like the listen. You grow up with like New York Chinese food, and I love New York Chinese food, but. China is obviously like the biggest country in the world and there's so many different types of Chinese food. And now you're seeing more of that open up and thinking like, that's really exciting. Just like expanding our minds to what we think as New Yorkers of this type of food, but truly there's so much more to it. I think that's really exciting and cool. I love it. Um, fuck, marry, kill, <laughs> cheese pulls, noodle pulls, or yolk porn. Che- uh, cheese pulls, noodles pull, or I guess I got to Mary yolk porn because listen, that's that's my life. Brush. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go with that. Noodle noodle or or cheese. I guess kill cheese and fuck noodles. Love it. Into it. <laughs> Delicious. Um where do you see your career going in the next few years? Do you see yourself kind of sticking in? Is there another arm of monetization that you want to approach? Is there another arm of content you want to approach? Yeah. I mean, um, to me, it's sort of, I, I enjoy the being on camera stuff. I think more opportunities like that. People are like, Oh, you want to show for another? Like, no, not really. Like I produce all these shows for free network. That doesn't super excite me, honestly. Uh, but I think the opportunities I do get a lot of the sponsored stuff. Now I would say 50% of the sponsor stuff I do, uh, involves me also being on camera. Um, for them. So it's like, hey, come come with us. We'll film this together. We'll use it for our, our own stuff and you could create whatever content you want from it to post. So I pretty much double the pay is on those things. And those are really, those are just fun for me. So I think like any any kind of more opportunities like that and, and growing everywhere, like growing on TikTok and growing on YouTube and like the podcast thing. I have a wrestling podcast I do every single week. Really? Uh-huh. I used to work at WWE. 
Wow. So it's called Monday Night Pod Wrestling's War. It's all about the Monday Night Wars. It is a nerd deep dive on wrestling. I love that. That I've been doing I every week that for that like a be, year and a half. That should be your TikTok strategy. <laughs> it should just be like you in a wrestling outfit reading a I podcast. I did start a personal TikTok that I'm deciding what I want to do with it. And that was a thought. I, I'm all behind <laughs> it. I'm all behind it. Um, and lastly, where do you see social in the next few years? Oh, God, it changes so quickly. I, I mean, I, I think I've been thinking a lot. Obviously, we talked about TikTok and Instagram endlessly. And I think, like, one thing you have to remember is when it is a young audience like TikTok has, uh, young people move on very quickly. What's cool today isn't cool in three months. And I think, like, that's an issue they're going to run into, which is what happens when TikTok isn't cool anymore? And it's just the 30-year-olds on there. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just sort of like seeing what's next, seeing what's next, seeing what sticks around. I don't think Instagram's going anywhere. I think the power of it's only getting bigger. I think a huge thing is when they start monetizing IGTV, which is going to happen soon, what that does to my business model and what that does to the way I produce content. And I'm excited for that. Amazing. This has been so incredible. <laughs> so incredible. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed and myself at Jake Cohen and Jeremy at Brunch Boys, as well as your personal account. Is there a dot? It's Jeremy dot Jacobowitz. It, it, uh... Wait, what is it? How do I not remember one thing? Wait, Jeremy, I'm so stupid. No, just Jeremy Jacobo. Just Jeremy I got Jacobus. the full thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Follow everyone. If you have a tip on who the next social media culinary star will be, send us a DM. We'll see you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>